So, welcome to the podcast. This is going to be Brandon, a.k.a. Dronecast Media. He's back on the podcast with something special. If you don't know him, you should. He's the guy who knows a little bit about everything that you may need in the future. I'm running short on time, so let's get to the podcast. Uh, yeah, I, I got the... Uh... A couple of bamboos and then a P1P going in the background. I had to silence the fans for this. Yeah, fans will, they can ruin a lot of stuff, especially shots. If you're trying to get shots, you, know, you hear that, that fan noise and you're like, uh, of course there's plugins now and resolve. So it's not all that bad. Yeah, I haven't messed too much with the uh, the plugins on the bamboo, but I've seen a lot of the slicer plugins that'll help with some of the issues I'm running into at the moment. Extrusion issues on the P1P. I think as soon as they released their, what is it, P1S, mm-hmm. the update they released intentionally messed with the P1P. Because I'd built the enclosure, printed out every little cool thing. Most of the stuff we do out here for it is like, tool holders, knickknacks, just printed a card box for a customer, you know, like a magic, the gathering yeah, trinket stuff. How's that scene? How's that scene out there? Is it, uh, is it pretty, is there a need for say like fabricators that have small hubs or oh, is it yeah. just kind of, oh, okay. So the market's much bigger out there then. It's crazy. Cause I thought it was going to be heavily saturated. Like they have everything they need and everyone knows somebody. But it turns right. out most people are part-timers. And it's like, oh, yeah. we part-time weld. Oh, we part-time print stuff. Hobby, kind of, hobbyist. Yeah, hobbyist. That's the word I was looking for, hobbyist. Nobody, nobody does it mainstream 24-7. Somebody's always got a, right. a side job or something they're doing full-time. And then right. it's just a pain to get done. So Yeah, it makes it – yeah, that's pretty cool. So then you could probably make a little market there for it. Possibly. It's working. Uh, I I started out, I started out on a kitchen table, man. Like I literally just gone through a, you know, breakup with my um, ex-wife and like I was, I was 3d printing on a kitchen table. And then the idea came to me. I'm like, well, you know, shit, there's probably people out here that, you know, need parts printed. And it wasn't like it is now. I mean, in fact, I think 3d hubs was something like brand new. Yeah. And it just slowly built up, dude, and ended up with like 10 printers and then 20 printers and 20 turned into 30 and I built went, a bunch of Chinese kits. Yeah, I, I made the mistake of buying eight Ender 3s and then two Ender 5 Pluses. And I was like, I'm going to make a farm. It was yeah. last Christmas 2021. I think uh-huh. right after we had done a podcast. Yeah, It was hilarious because I think we built eight of them uh two of the pluses and six of the ender threes and then we printed maybe five things off of them and then nothing i was like nope i'm done that's it i'm good until we yeah. moved out here and the bamboo lab was just like all right it's uh it's all together it looks like something i can use part-time and then that kind of blew up and i'm like ah, i can't keep printing 20%. it changes yeah it's interesting like you know i think a lot of people especially early on even myself included thought that you know, 3D printing would be something that, you know, was sort of plug and play. You, you could buy a machine and then, you know, kind of just, you know, uh, make adjustments here and there, and then it would magically work. And as I think a lot of people found out, and I think a lot of 3D printers ended up in the closet because of it, um, there's a lot more work that goes into it. And it's, you really, really, really like through and through have to love it. Uh, it's like an obsession. Yeah. I, I, I was so lucky. I was on my 29th day 
when the last Ender 5 came to me from Amazon. Uh-huh. And I decided, I was like, nope, I'm sending them all back. So I, I opened returns yeah. on all of them, threw them all into a giant cardboard box, just taped them all up and sent them out. Got yeah. every dime back, luckily. And yeah, you're, you're lucky. I think a lot of people, you know, they'll do that and, you know, they either won't get their money back or they'll get partial refunds. And you know how that game goes. I mean, you're in retail, so yeah it's it, it's a it's a it's a hard especially nowadays you know it's 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 difficult to really unless you get into like a specialized field with 3d printing i feel like the markets you know the this the markets here in the states are completely like you say saturated there's i mean there are a few places where you know you can make a buck but even then you know there's stiff competition you have you know 3d hubs you have um there's another one called uh, uh, Exomi or so, not Exomi. That's a brand that makes cell phones. Um, I forget the name of it. There's like three or four major. I've been out of the game so long, I've forgotten a lot of the names <laughs> of the people. But there's like three or four major players now. All you have to do is upload your file, and they handle all of it. Obviously, it's way overpriced because they have a ton of overhead and they have to you know pay the bills. I get it, but it's. I think it's a lot more convenient for the consumer that's sort of a novice, you know, with, with 3D printing, either they didn't want to jump into it or whatever have you. So it's a, that's a difficult game, man, unless you're in like the biomedical industry or, and you know, that's next level. You're using machines like SLS machines, powder bed. Um, you're using, uh, you know, resins a lot more these days. It's a lot more common. You see a lot of it nowadays. Um, shit just go on Amazon and you see, you know, in fact, here's here's a crazy one for you. So back when I was into it around, we'll say circa 2014, um, you were hard pressed to find engineering resins at a decent price. And now uh, when I go on like Amazon, I'll just for shits and giggles, I look up, you know, the prices of different resins because I still do 3D printing, but it's mostly for camera gear. Um you see that the prices have not have not only gone down, but the material manufacturers, um, they don't care about IP. So you have chemical formulations that are, you know, from Germany. Let's we'll just say like Germany, right? Or Poland or, you know, those are hot spots for 3D printing. They're like cutting edge in Europe. And so they'll develop these these resins. The Chinese will copy them, and then you next you know next month you see them out on Amazon for like fifty bucks, you know, for a, a, a thousand you know grams or whatever they you know whatever scheme or scheme they're pulling, business scheme they're pulling. But it, it's it's really crazy how just how cheap it now is and how easy it's become, especially with resin printing. Although I will say. I cringe when I look at YouTube videos of people using MSLA or SLA printers and they're like barehanded holding the models and they have, you know, uh, photopolymer all over their fingers. <laughs> That's me. It's so dangerous, dude. Like it's so like hazardous. Like people I am, just I understand, but I'm also the guy who solders without a face mask. Basically, uh, I heard this story one time um, and no, it wasn't me. I heard this story one time where a maker um, got some resin on his fingers, had cleaned it off, he cleaned his hands off, and he thought that the resin was completely washed off of his hands. Well, then he goes and tosses off, and he ends up in the ER with burns on his junk 
because he still had the photopolymer on his fingers. I mean, this shit is seriously poison. It burned his penis. Like, it, it's no joke. This stuff is no joke. So a lot of people don't understand that. They just, it, you know, back when I didn't understand it either, we've all gone through things like that. Luckily, I never burned my penis. Thank God. Um, but, you know, there's there's people, there's these funny stories that you hear, and you're just like, oh, my God, I'm so lucky I'm not that dude. Yeah, when we first at love to fix that was the first thing i bought was one of those elegoo resin 4k screens the yep. first print luckily i punctured the vat so oh, resin went everywhere it was a waste oh. of 200 dollars. and so there was this kid frank who was working everyone knows shithead franks uh oh yeah it's uh one of those things where he got it all over his hands and now i'm thinking to myself i hope you know he didn't get that uh that yep. injury but you know, it, it's it. Well, from what I hear, it's it's like it's super super that the person that and I'm not going to name names. I know this person. He's in a maker group, and you know, it was kind of it was like a joke. You know, everybody and I and you know, it's so interesting. All these young people, they do everything for frills. You know, thrills. They're like putting all this stuff up on YouTube and TikTok, and included. He's in that age. He's like the what do they call him? The Gen Z or whatever. Yeah. They, you know, group. And so, you know, they do all this stuff and, and it can't, it, it was kind of like, it kind of took off and like people actually from that people are learning what not to do, right? Yeah. Do not whack off after you are done handling without gloves, handling, um, photopolymer. Oh, any, any hazardous material, anything with a crossbones on it, do not right. touch yourself. <laughs> there is a reason why they have crossbones on something like that. Absolutely. <laughs> You remember the old poison control stickers you see on uh, the old landlines? Oh yeah, the the uh, skull and crossbones. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I have a funny story. Cool. Uh, a really cool story too. I'll tell about that. So, um, my dad, uh, my biological father. I was raised by my stepdad, but uh, my biological father. And granted, this was when I was a little kid, so I didn't know him. I didn't meet him until I was like ten, but. Um, he came up with a brand, it was called, it was a beer brand and it was called brain dead beer. And it had the cross, the skull and bones. And what he did was back then. And I think this was like the mid to late eighties, probably the late eighties, maybe early nineties. What he did was he took this, and it was brilliant. He took the surgeon general's warning. And back then the surgeon general warning, and I think probably even today that a really small text at the bottom, he blew it up. And he said, consuming this alcoholic beverage may kill you and others you don't even know. And it was sort of like a joke. And of course, you know, I don't think the Surgeon General took it very well. They had sold like 200,000 cases to like AMPM and they had to return all the money because the Surgeon General comes back and they're like, oh, no, absolutely not. You're not going to make a mockery of us. We are pulling your beer out. But I thought that was kind of funny when we were talking about so it's called brain dead beer. In fact, one of these days I'll send a picture to you. It's it was so cool. Oh my god, that'd be great. I'd love to see it. Well, nowadays you see like water, right? You see wicked water, death death water or whatever. I don't know if you've seen that before in the supermarket. You're walking down uh, liquid liquid uh what is liquid it? death. Liquid death. Yeah, I just bought a case yeah. of their raspberry sweet tea or whatever. Yeah, it's actually really good. It's like bitching. It's super good. It's crazy but, that it's so inexpensive for what the quality is, but also so expensive looking and tasting. Right. They're, they're actually doing something genuine with. 
which is surprising right. to a lot of companies. I mean, and in the, in the, like he's, these are all like marketing ploys, you know, that companies use. I think it's, I think it's brilliant. I, think, I obviously, I think brain dead beer was way ahead of its time, but the market wasn't ready for that, and I don't think the Surgeon General was either at the time. I mean, come on, we were. It was the Reagan administration in, in the eighties, yeah. so. I'm not a crook. I'm not a crook. Right, exactly. Right. So, so tell me, like, dude, I miss you, man. Like, it's it's crazy not having you in SAC. Like, oh, it's nuts. So, well, uh, you've heard the story. I sold Love Two Fix to Anthony. He's now yep. the owner operator. Uh, fraud with Eric. Then we had a blackball employee that tried to steal a bunch of money and not work at all, which was fun. Uh, stealing by money, by time, but dude, what uh, do what do people think you are? Like some freaking dartboard or something? Like, well, dude, you've been through so much shit. We we made a lot of money up until sure. January, so there was a lot of money flowing in that was cash right. basis. Like the IRS would have loved it. Oh, the I'm problem sure. is most of those guys felt very entitled, like they had made this happen. They did any of the advertising, any of the name, any of the the buildup of the uh, equity of that store and its vibe, you know, right. Uh, I spent eight years working seven days a week so I could uh, afford employees to be that store. And it was funny because once I brought Eric out here with me, I had given mm -hmm. him a $5,000 bonus for, Hey, you've been with me a couple of years now and you're going to take over the store for me while I'm gone. I appreciate you. And I told my wife, one of two things is going to happen. Either he's either going to take the money and he's going to move because everyone's leaving okay. California when they got a little pocket change or two, he's going to double down, hope for a bigger bonus next year or bigger things in the horizon and stick with the company. So kind of like, you know, any business owner would be like, all right, I'm buying him of a sort, but also promoting him of a sort, you know? Right. So you, you feel like there's no way this man's going to steal from me. But then we had about 40,000 in loss over the next two months. It was like, okay, so what's, what's going on? Turns out the store's numbers started going from 70,000 to 20,000. Well, people, people didn't care to work or post or reply to ads to get the customers in. They were like, well, nobody's here saying you have to. And so right. we tried to get new people in, train them new. But it turned out Eric was the sour one and it was all downhill from there. Yet he was the one running it for me. So by the time we found out, we were probably down like 60 grand. And I had put a bunch of cash back into it to like reinvigor the store. And here's the new plan we were going to do. And so that was the entire stress. Now, all the stress I had here at this store, because we had built a new store here in Oklahoma. And it was supposed to be, well, we only pay, I think our overhead here is a thousand bucks a month for everything. Oh my God. Before employees, which we now have a couple. But man, it oh, is inexpensive holy. here. We rent a house literally a stone's throw behind us. And we walk to work every day. And that and this is under two grand every month with groceries. Wow. It's crazy. And it's a great place. We, we thought it was going to be an easier task of running that remotely. Turns out you can't even trust your best friends. You know, I, nah, I know. that's the problem. Yeah. It's yeah. just, there's so many backstabbers and like, it's like that song from the OJs, man. You know, they'll smile in your face every time they want to take your place. The backstabbers like, yeah. dude, it, it's it's like nowadays it's amplified by like 20 versus back then. Everything business wise is pure opportunity nowadays. It's so intense, yeah, especially here in Cali, man. Home yeah. of the backstabbers. Yeah. So we decided to sell it. Uh, so I probably took like another hundred thousand dollar loss on that store. 
selling mm. it quickly to get it like I, I I just couldn't think about posting it sitting there and working there when I got kids here and I was like no right. I'll just give it to somebody I know who has the capital move it quick here you go sign everything off it was instant so I went out there and fired one less, everybody one less liability yeah you know what's funny the first month he worked there and ran it he tripled their numbers like that it was the only like, oh man, I shouldn't have sold it because he made in one month half of what he was going to pay me. Wow, it's crazy. It's it's yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of money in you know electronic repair. I mean, I speaking of that, what's really interesting is just how much money these third party companies make from like cinema camera repair. Oh, yeah. Not like DSLR, but like cinema camera, like they'll have the major studios sometimes just send them, you know, like an area Alexa plus a classic, a mini an LF, whatever model. And like just to open the, the case up, mm-hmm. you're talking a bare minimum of five thousand bucks. So funny enough, <laughs> I had a company in Texas send uh-huh. me a red camera. And oh, yeah. Was red? A, uh, what was it? An SDI connector had broken. Mm-hmm. So for a single SDI connector repair, I mm-hmm. thought I was throwing out a ridiculous quote because the part was 200 bucks, uh, would have taken me two hours. So I think I, you know, 2,800 bucks. And sure. I was like, oh shit. You're half as expensive as the next guy. What? You're creating a new market all of a sudden. Yeah. It was intense. I, I, I would never gotten such a yes for anything over a thousand dollars in my life. And it was instant then he was like yeah there's we're big money. money in that dude big money in yeah. that so uh, but you yeah. also have to have the you have to have the staffing you have to have the equipment exactly. you have to have the know-how and a lot of people lack at least one of those or i feel maybe two of those and if, if you're lacking even one of those and you screw if you screw the pooch like i mean look in airy cameras 50 60 thousand bucks used right a brand new one's about 150 g's have you so, upgraded your uh, your rig yet? Um, so no, I, I you know I, I took the approach of you know we have this up and coming production which I'll yeah. talk about a little later, but I I took I'm now taking the production approach of renting, so just renting them out, you know, um, renting both the glass and the bodies out, and the reason why is because. Um, you know, the expenses always add up. And if it's not the expense of the cards, it's the expense of the glass. If it's not the glass, it's the accessories that go around on, you know, each of the cameras. And a lot of the high-end brands have proprietary uh, add-ons and equipment. And yes, I mean, I like to think of myself as a hardware hacker. And to some extent, I am. But you really have to stop and think about what you're working on and if you mess something up uh it the, the expense of cleaning that mess up is a lot more than just sending it off to be worked on in the first place in a proper facility you have no uh, idea how much that resonates with me today because i, I think i told you i got a an a7 4 we're recording on right now yeah and uh, that was my second purchase. I, I couldn't get this from Best Buy at the time. And I wanted that camera so bad. I was like, no, I want it now or I'll get it from Amazon. But I'm more impulsive. If it's in my hand, I can be sold on it or bought it. That's my problem. Yeah. So I try to avoid the store. So I went and got an A7C. 
and mm-hmm. I liked it. I, not so much for the video, but for the photos. And I was like, well, you know, worst case, I can become a real estate photographer and do all the fun stuff that everyone's like, I'll fall back on this. Right. I was like, I just want free time. So when I stepped away from Love to Fix and my other responsibilities, I was like, I'm just going to play. And, you know, once I started looking at the accessories, I was dumbfounded at how many things were specifically Sony, specifically yep. Nikon, Canon, uh, Red, Ari. Everything was, it's got to be made for this at this millimeter with this dimensions. And this only goes to two stops, four stops, eight stops. Every pole is like this many millimeters. There was, like I was saying earlier, we came into some money last December. I got Mm -hmm. uh, unemployment money from 2020 since I worked through the pandemic. As a business owner, they were like, here you go. Here's 40 grand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have a certain amount of W-2 employees, you get, yeah. Yeah, I was like, I didn't even know we applied for this. Awesome. Here's 40 grand. I'm already moving, saving money. I'll put 10 grand in my cameras. I spent like 15. But. So I bought both cameras, four lenses each. Mm-hmm. Stupidly, none of the lenses match the millimeter or size. So I have no two lenses of the same to do a podcast properly. So I have to kind of like, Ooh. one's going to be 40, one's going to be 35 and kind of zoom, you know. So there's always a little tweaking and editing. But so I found out real quick how expensive these things are and how much space they take up. And it was exhausting for months i was carrying around only one backpack on flights and drives to and from that was all camera gear yep i, I couldn't do it I, was, I had to downsize it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot to it's a lot to consider and to, to take on you know um even though camera technology i mean like i think didn't i send you something on the sigma fp yeah yeah so Great camera, underrated, horribly underrated because of their first edition of firmware that they came out with. Um, uh, it is a full frame that is, it shoots in RAW. And so, like, not log, but RAW. Um, the picture that comes out of it is absolutely amazing. In fact, um, they have custom profiles designed in the camera so that it can be used as a viewfinder on set with major cameras like Airy, uh, Red, um, Sony Venice 2, um, Sony. Speaking of Sony, they have probably the best camera out in the, in the world of cinema. It's the Sony Venice 2. Absolutely amazing. But this little camera for a B cam um and even in a cam in some situations because you can alter everything with a lookup table or if you're working with a, a a pro colorist it's you can make it look just like a sony venice 2. the only way you could tell is if you were you know a 20 plus year cinematographer looking at the picture right yeah pixel peaking and doing all this you know it's the only way you could really tell the difference which brings me to why go out and spend exorbitant amounts of money on cinema cameras when nine tenths of the people that use these cameras don't need the functionality that a a true cinematographer would need? You know, like yeah. buttons on the side for focus peaking or three record buttons or you know, like all this stuff. Oh, I, the so, moment I got my second camera, I wanted the FX three all of a sudden. I was like, oh, that's a, that. Now that is a, yeah, hands down. That's like an FP. That's an FP killer. Like in terms of the color, it's like a miniature Venice. I mean, and again, 
You're not, you're not helping. <laughs> it's hard, man. It's an addiction. I am totally addicted to cameras. Yeah, I, there, there's one vice. I didn't follow through on doing anything with cameras except for the vlogs and this. So I felt mm -hmm. like I was, I, I could, I could do somebody's college portraits or their high school sure. photos and all that stuff. I could charge for that if I had the time to do it. And if I wasn't right. running multiple stores, that's my problem. Yeah. So it, I have a love for the camera. Absolutely. It's just, it's a lot. Cause even I saw something last night, the M light. Have you heard of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That just got me into a whole headspace of retrofitting older cameras for newer bodies. And with the 3d printing, yeah. I was like, well, I could print that. I could, that's easy to mold. I could just, you know, I already do metalworking too. I could, my CNC, yeah. I could mm, done. Cause I made my own, um, battery cage I, I bought a small rig took the dimensions and took their cage made a battery rig uh so little things like that that people who tinker like you and me we could do those mm -hmm. things but i'm a little bit too busy to follow through on like oh i can do it and then mass produce it and then i feel oh bad my about god it dude that sounds like my, my like so my wife and i we 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 have we have fights about that all the time like I, I she'll say, oh, you know, uh, hey, babe, you know, maybe we should just go and get, you know, this or that for the house. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I can just 3D print that. And she gives me that look and she's like, mm -hmm, right. With what time? Yeah. You know, you've got so many things, so many irons in the fire. When will you actually have the time to follow through and create it? And it's and, it, and I'm just like, oh, OK, I hate admitting it. But, yeah, you're right. Most of the time you don't. Right. Right. Yeah. It's I'm yeah, right like, there. With, I think the cabinets and the countertop that I was building. So I've got everything glued up, but it's been like two and mm -hmm. a half months. The the follow through. I'll find two hours to do it and then something will come yep. up. It's a nightmare. But I think that's just the, I know, man. the, the it's not easy. fight is time. I wish I could just play all day with my toys. I love CNC. I love 3D printing. Um, I even like, you know, hand fabrication. Uh, there's just, it, it, it's, there's something so relaxing and then rewarding at the end of it where you're like, I didn't buy this. I made this, mm -hmm. you know, it's and natural. it's so rare. It's so rare these days. I, I see so many people, you know, especially the younger generation with a small percentage of them being makers like us, I, I see them just, no, nah, I'd just rather buy it. And you know, the funny thing is, that's the right thing to do when you're busy, but being like us, it, it just, yeah. So I'd rather 3d print it if I can. Are you doing any printing on the drones? You got any, uh, I see you got um, quite the drone I, behind you. Yeah, no, I, I actually, that's just a hopped up modified, um, H H what is it? H, uh, H480. One of the first uniques that came out the, as the, uh, I just uh, took the top off, threw some masking tape on it, gave it a paint job. Um, I relocated the uh, the transmitter. Uh, wait, wait, let me see here. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So now it has better signal. Uh, this is for the uh, downlink, um, the telemetry downlink for the actual copter itself. And then the next thing I'll probably end up doing is. Uh, pimping out the camera with a bigger, uh, a bigger or, you know, better decibel antenna on there, but just little tweaks here and there. I mean, this is a, it's a B copter, you know, it's not a, 
it's not something that you would use on like a, a production or anything, but it's fun. Actually, funny you saw that. So I don't know if you know, but the old Save Mart off of Manzanita now, it's not Save Mart. It's Food Max now. On Manzanita and so, where? Uh, Manzanita and uh, Winding at the intersection there where the Chevron's at. Behind there, there's a grocery store. Not the Safeway by where your old shop used to be. If you oh, keep yeah. Going down, yeah. So it's a Food Max now. So it was cool today. I had to go out and pick up a, a food order because um, my wife was like, eh, I'm just going to take it easy today. Worked hard. So I went and picked up her food. And then on my way back, I see this shopping cart that looks like the shopping cart from Jackass. It's that huge shopping, big red shopping cart. And in fact, it's on my social media. I posted uh, a quick video of it. So it's it has a 454 big block on this thing, all customized. Um, it's just so bitchin'. He's, he fired it up, you know, the headers come right out, and it's just, it, it's so cool. But anyhow, they have this big shopping cart, this big red shopping cart out there. So I took this drum, and I just got some, you know, simple footage with it, but it's not a production drone at all. It's not something- It just looked really cool. I hadn't seen, I, it looked yeah. like it unique to me, because. We've done some work on them in the past, but I didn't know that they had a red. I was like, oh, maybe you souped it up with some 3D printing or you've crashed it and repaired well, it. Well, interestingly enough, they do have both the front and the top on repositories to, you know, they have the 3D files for it. But, I mean, the weight savings is, I mean, <laughs> unless you're using some super, you know, rare filament or, you know, uh, powder bed, some type of, you know, uh, nylon or something that's lightweight. It's Bamboo Labs accidentally sent me their carbon fiber filament that I didn't order uh, uh -huh. in my uh, X1 Carbon uh, purchase. I, still, uh -huh. I think I used that for a speaker set to wall mount some Razer speakers, but I haven't done anything cool with it. I should reprint my Mini 3 DJI Mini 3 housing because I know I have the STL. Yeah. DJ, you know what, man? Straight out of the get, like I have my hat, my hat goes off to DJI. You know, for a, for a prosumer and even in their even their professional level stuff, um, they've always they've always done really well at listening to what the drone community really wants, and they 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 create it. You know, they yeah. go out there and they make it. And I feel like I felt like Unique really never did that. And the funny thing is. I, I guess the, the reason why I went with the um, H480, and it's old too, is because it's open source. So the FC, and you have to hack the FC, you have to trick it. And there's something called, there's a, a firmware called Thunderbird. Yep. And Thunderbird uh, hooks in with, because uh, it's a it's a, it's a a Mavlink uh, protocol. So it sends out Mavlink heartbeat back and forth. But now with the new firmware in the drone i can fly it from mission planner software or even um what's the other one it used to be tower I, I can't think off the top of my head but um you know anything any any software any ground control station that uses uh mavlink protocol you can say so it's open source you can do cool shit like that you never could before so even though it's old because it has an open source controller in it it's great now I can't say the same about DJI. However, they're they're smart. They know that 90% of their drone base is not going to be 
opening the drone up, messing with the flight controller, you know, trying to do hardware and software hacks um, like you or I would do. Um, and so, but they really listen. And that's the thing I like, do like about DJI. And the quality of their cameras, I have to say, it's really improved. It's getting um, crazy. They have a they have a new drone out, and it's a little pricey. I think it's like six grand or something. It's a uh, a miniature cinema drone, yeah. and it, I think they're using a, a true one inch sensor on it, which gives much better di- dynamic range than you know the small cameras that they used to have out. But um, I, I was blown away by the the quality. Uh, and it shoots in log, and I think there's even a, a a sort of raw, but it's not raw. It's kind of like a Black Magic's B raw, yeah, know, I've seen raw, that. actual raw. But it, it's it was impressive when I looked at their you know material, their marketing material. I was like, geez, you know, these guys have really stepped their game up, and it's consistent. It's been consistent. So I, I keep seeing I to to DGI. their stuff. Like I bought, I think it was the Road Two Mini Go set. Uh-huh. immediately saw their microphones and I was like, why didn't I buy these? And then I yep. found I had such a hard time plugging in to my iPhone to do some shorts on YouTube, the microphone for better sound to the road. But I didn't know you had mm-hmm. to have a special TCRS cable strictly from road. Oh, that's how they get you, man. Yeah, the accessories. It, it was like a hundred dollars worth of cables to find that out. Just stupid. And then, uh, I was like, I should have just got the damn DJI. Would have play, paired to Bluetooth. Boom. Done. Simple. By the way, dude, that XLR that you hooked me up with a while back, that is an awesome XLR. That the quality, the build quality on that is awesome. Cool. I did. Yeah. That was a really, really nice XLR. And I I mean I have I use stuff like Livewire, you know, which is nice. It's from, you know, Guitar Center. It's like their primo brand. But the one that you gave me and I looked at the price point too. Like I went on and I looked it up. It's for what you what you get. It's it's better than Livewire, I think. Really? Oh yeah. Oh, well, oh yeah. Cool. Glad I did something cool. <laughs> so, so what what are you into right now? You were you mentioning your there's a project you're working on. I know you want to yes. get to that. What? Tell me what the project is. Okay, so I have a couple of friends of mine who are up in Oregon, the Oregon area. Um, interestingly enough, I met, uh, this person, his name's Hayden. I met Hayden back when I had my 3d printing business and, um, one of his elephants needed a, a tusk, uh, redesigned and then fabricated. Hold on. And so he has an elephant in Oregon. Yeah. It, it's crazier than that, man. It, it really is. It, it's the, the story is amazing. So I, I met Hayden really liked him um i went up to his 770 acre refuge and uh, i thought you know once i got past the secure gates and cameras and all that and actually went and met him for the first time it was like being in jurassic park um hayden has two elephants he has um and one of those elephants actually baba happens to be michael jackson's elephant um and the story gets crazy. So Hayden was the um, he was the chief handler uh, wildlife expert at Neverland Ranch for like ten or fifteen years, maybe. I, I don't remember the exact amount of time. And when Michael lost everything, um, Neverland Ranch included, 
uh, Hayden said, hey, let's work something out. He goes, you know, uh, Baba will be, you know, much better with me because uh, I have property and, and I can take care of her and my wife's a vet, you know. Uh, she'll be a lot better off with me. Uh, can we can we do that? And then maybe a little bit of cash to make up for, you know, my losses. And Michael agreed to it. And so he ended up getting Baba. So he Baba's still there. So it's Susie and Baba. And then he has a... He has the only rhinoceros in private hands, and it it has a lot to do with the fact that his wife is a respected doctor, and for it, she's specifically a vet that deals with large animals. So he has a white rhino, a southern white rhino, African rhino. Uh, his name is Spike. He's super cool. It looks like a freaking triceratops. Like when you see him, you're just like, holy shit, you're looking at a dinosaur. Uh, monkeys. I can't even imagine monkeys. a white rhino. I just think of the, like if the guy from Ace Ventura painted the rhino the wrong color, you know? Right. Uh, they are prehistoric by all means. They're not very intelligent. They're very, very difficult to handle. Um, and it takes a special type of person. In, in fact, it's impossible today for a private citizen without, you know, medical degrees and the financing, the backing, and the area, uh, a safe area that's away from the general public to have something like that. Um, it, it's just, it, it kind of brings me back to like the whole Tiger King thing, right? So I, I talked to Hayden throughout the years. Hayden was always kind of interested in doing an educational program that, you know, him and his wife, uh, Stephanie, they, so it would have like scenes it ha it's going to have scenes with Stephanie and Hayden with the animals, taking care of the animals, um, you know, medical procedures that have to be done on the animals, big animals. Um, and more importantly, it's going to set this this docuseries is going to set itself aside from the norm, which you would see like the run and gun type deal. Instead, it's going to be focused on we're going to be using cinema cameras, like real cameras, not docu-style cameras, running gun cameras. Hey everybody, if you like the podcast, like, comment, subscribe. Just wanted to take a second to let you know the GoFundMe is in the link in the description, the first link. You can't miss it. If you can't give, you may know somebody who can. The behind of the scenes of all this, it's a great fund. Go ahead and help. Send it to somebody who can, a dollar, a penny. Every dollar, every donation gets you a ticket to come visit the sanctuary on the last day of filming. As myself, I'm gonna be there. So if you wanna come hang out, let me know in the comments below. I'll see you there. Back to the podcast. So we're doing a docu-series. It's called For the Love of Animals, and it's going to highlight the difficulties, meaning the, the dramas um, that they have. You know, they have people, handlers there that are employees because there's a lot of animals up at the um, up at the refuge. There's, of course, the elephants, the rhino. Um, there's exotic cats. They have a Canadian lynx, a um, caracal. Um, they have a crane. They have ostriches, um, tortoises. It's like it's like all of the animals that you would see in a zoo, but it's not a zoo. It's private. It's closed off to the public. How large is it? Uh, Seven hundred seventy acres. It's massive. And this is in Oregon. This is in Southern Oregon. Yep. Right outside of the uh, Rogue River area. Why do I think Oregon is not that big? How big is Oregon? 770 acres. Why, my head, for some reason, I am... Oh, God. I'm an idiot. 
I was thinking of somewhere else. You're right above California. No wonder. We drove right, through yeah. Oregon to get to, what was it? Tacoma, Washington to visit our cousins in late 2020 when we were like, hey, we got to get out of California. So mm-hmm. I think we went through, what is that, that Oregon Pass? Yeah, so it's Portland and then Vancouver, Washington. Yeah, just straight up from California. Yep. And it was That's a nice drive. Well, it was scary. It was the first time we took the Tesla cross country. Oh. It was so nerve wracking. This is at peak battery performance. Uh huh. Brand new car. And I still almost ran out zero on both the going there and the coming because there's a huge distance across that Oregon trail. That, yeah. Uh, there was a nice couple because we were on zero miles for like 20 miles and we ran out in front of their little. Uh, what is it? Azalea, Azalea, uh, which is right before the black bear diner at the top of the hill. And they let us charge there, gave me the kids, everyone hot cocoa. We had conversations for a few hours. It was one of the best accidental breakdowns ever had in my life. And Oh yeah. Small towns. You always get people that are super helpful. I mean, uh, that's one of the things, even though everybody knows everyone's business in a small town, Mm Um, everybody, even if you can't stand your neighbor, like if they get snowed in or something happens, everybody's there to help no matter what. And you just don't see that in the big cities. I had never experienced it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's pretty, it's the first time you experience it. You're just like, wow. Okay. I was like, there's nice people everywhere. That's not where I'm at. (laughs) They wave. They They don't flip you off. They wave. Exactly. And when I came out here, it was a stark reality. I I think of Woodward, Oklahoma, like Sacramento, Rio Linda, Mm -hmm. 15 years ago. There's a lot of redneck people, but they don't give a shit about your business. They care if you're happy, if you're healthy, if you got everything going on. They'll say, hi, you need something. They don't, they don't care anything else. If you're out on the corner screaming and messing their uh, Sunday or Saturday up, yeah, they got a problem. Just right. Go take that down the road. That's about right. it. Right. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Yeah, don't do it here. Don't, yeah, don't be a dick. There's kids around. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. It's getting basic, crazy. Basic stuff. See, but you say it's basic. That's my problem with uh, a lot of people out there in California. It's, no, that means you're doing nothing. That You have to think elevate your mind everyone's business is your business you need to change their opinion woke yeah that's that's right so how you knew this guy Uh you went out there and you visited Mm -hmm. you saw this how did the docus or so it's how did the series come to be were you just like hey i do this for a living Mm -hmm. i'd love to shoot this did you shoot him a, a mini piece or so basically the way that it all started and it it was a long time coming so when i say that it was probably about uh, shoot i probably a couple of months after we i was on your podcast that you know we started talking about it a little bit more because it was always in passing yeah it'd be cool to do something and then finally um all of the pieces kind of fell into place so i have a, a really good friend of mine from los angeles who's a producer there and um, I have a, another friend down there who's a very well-known screenwriter. And um, these people, because of you know everything that's going on in the industry with the writer strike and actors walking off and whatnot, they now have the time to kind of you know help out on a project like this. So perfect timing, and it, it helped that I knew them and they were they had been friends. And yeah. so um, they were like, yeah, okay, uh, you know. 
fundraise. Uh, if, you, if you're able to fundraise, you know, 15 grand within the first week, we'll we'll do it. We're in. And so I did it. And now we're, I, I started a GFM, a GoFundMe. We're at 52,000 now. Our goal is 100 grand. And um, it's been an uphill battle, but um, I, I, I had some insight on some, the way that GFM has their, how their critiquing algorithm works now. So I'm fairly confident that we'll, we'll, we'll surpass the $100,000 mark. We have a guarantee if we don't hit that mark from a private money source. Um, just because I didn't want to, I didn't want to start this project and, you know, be like, oh yeah, there's not enough funds and we have to, you know, cut this or cut that. But we still are actively campaigning and, you know, doing what we can. In fact, I'm sure you saw the fun run that I did. Um, although it wasn't all quite that fun because it's been a long time since I've run a distance like that. Well, it, uh, it shows it a, a bit of determination especially that's the equivalent of me going for a quarter mile run, you know, and, and being like, this is for something I believe in. It would be painful. Yeah. I'd be sweating. A lot of people, you know, I, that wasn't even my idea actually. So the um, cinematographer who we hired, who's up and coming, he's an amazingly skilled person. His name's Connor Bates. Um, Connor had the idea and he pitched it to me. He's like, you know, maybe I should go down the Vegas strip and have somebody follow me in live stream, you know, like his audience. And so I kind of stole the idea from him because he's, he was wrapping up production or in the middle of production rather on a document, a documentary in Sonoma and Sonoma, California. But, um, so he didn't have the time to do it. So I was like, eh, I'll take the torch, you know, and, and long story short, I felt like somebody beat me with baseball bats. I, I hurt so bad. Um, but you know, that's, that's stuff that you really don't see a lot of, especially on platforms like GoFundMe. I mean, most of the people that are there, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of medical, you know, campaigns that are on. And I love that. I love that people, random strangers just feel generosity to give to, you know, a kid that has leukemia or I like stuff like that, but you don't usually see something. You don't see a campaign where the campaigner does something like run. Um, it, it, you know, uh, you see that more on Patreon. Patreon. Yeah. Like you'll pay and then get something in return. Perk, There's a tier perk, system, right. but not right. on GoFundMe. Yeah. You get updates, but it's a right. separate thing. We actually, we actually opened it up. So our last day of filming in November, we're going to have a donors appreciation day where anybody who donated will get to come up to the, the refuge and hang out with the crew and the animals and you know the star obviously hayden and stephanie and just have a, a day where it's catered fully catered they can just enjoy themselves and be out there so as far as a perk that's that is a that's that's different you know than a lot of other gofundmes but i think it's interesting you know it's it especially with gofundme you really have to uh everything falls on you. They don't really reciprocate unless you're, you know, your campaign is bringing a lot of traffic in, donations. So it's really up to the person that's campaigning to make it happen. Next stunt I'm pulling, which you'll probably like, is I'm gonna be jumping out of a helicopter. I'm gonna be skydiving out of a helicopter. <laughs> Why? Um, well, you know- well, uh, Before you answer. Yeah. No, no, fucking why? 
<laughs> I'm a thrill seeker. I love that kind of stuff. And um, on top of that, um, of course, I haven't done crazy stuff like that. I mean, last time I was skydiving was, God, I don't know. I was 22, <laughs> and that was my last time. Yeah, it's been a long time. But um, I, I just... I think that when people see stuff like that, it gets their attention. Yeah, it's got mine. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I'll live to tell. I, I promise I'll live to tell, man. I'll be oh, back on the podcast I, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I think it's one of those things where the blades being that close, you know, the idea of swords and people have fears of knives and being cut. No, no. My head being chopped and me feeling every blade before it gets thrusted towards the ground at like 500 miles an hour that's what i'm afraid of just a fortunately fortunately the pilot is a former stuntman and so so he's jumping um no he's not jumping but um it's gonna be me and our dp actually our director of photography um he's taking the leap and he's like yeah shit man it's if, if it helps raise funds for the production i'm gonna do it his name's kyle grissom uh, so talented. I mean, this guy has an amazing eye for composition, but he's also he's also uh, a thrill seeker. Yeah. And so, how many productions have the DP and the co-producer jumping out of a helicopter and skydiving to raise funds for their project? I don't know of many. The bigger question is how, because this isn't all GoFundMe money, right? Mm -hmm. This is right. Pri there's not just private equity, but private persons or, you know, the right. planning of this. How much is this going to cost? Probably a few favors. Yeah. Just put it like that. I don't think there'll be a dollar amount attached to it, but it, there's definitely going to be some favors. So how does one... I've never known you to be this big of a production person. Mm -hmm. I, I thought you were the the smaller, more niched behind the scenes guy, you handled it, you got it done, you weren't very flashy about it. Now you're jumping out of helicopters like Will fucking Smith. So what happened? How'd you go from that to saving the animals of Oregon? So it's interesting to save the animals in Oregon and to, to have this production come to fruition. Um, there are private money sources again, but I really felt like I needed to, I needed to be a part of the fundraising as well. And I'm not, I've, I've never been a real producer. Um, I was more of a production company that would, you know, come in and, and we would be more like a, I guess what you'd say, co-production. This is my first, I'm still a co-producer of this, but it's, I'm, I'm a bigger part now. I'm in bed with the executive producer. Yeah. And so because of that, um, you have to you have to turn it up a few notches, especially in a especially in a society that we live in where, you know, you got kids doing these TikTok stunts. And, you know, I was going to base job off of a building. The problem with that is the legalities. Yeah, it's so safer, though. It, 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 yes, much safer. But believe it or not, the government would put you in jail for that one. Yet they won't when you're jumping out of a helicopter because it's private property. And right. the risk, the risk to private property, you know, right. Right. they don't care. They don't care about the individual, right? No. They care about what happens yeah, as a or other individuals that were unsuspecting that got, you know, smacked by you when you were on your way down. Is, is there is there nothing the government does for these types of rescues, though? 
do they offer any type of aid being that they put they put a lot of you know what they do they put a lot of restrictions on um people that are qualified and mm -hmm. it's because of the, the shit like tiger king you yep. know the joe exotic and this doc antle and all these dipshits as soon as you said it that's what i thought was yeah all these dip. crazy people and you know uh the streaming services like netflix they ate it up and why not you know they're 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 concerned about viewers and i totally get that but you know our 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 program is going to be pitched to netflix hulu to be all the major streaming services the difference is we're not doing it for the um for the thrill factor as much as we are a, a different way of narrating and showing these animals and their handlers when and i'm not going to give too much away but i will say this much it is something that is revolutionary it's totally different than any other type of docu style whether that's a docu series documentary whatever it is it's entirely different the way that connor and kyle and, and the creative team have come up with this so when you see it, it when, when people are going to feel an instant connection to, to these animals that they normally wouldn't through the use of art. And when I say art, I mean the way that it's captured, the way that it's edited, um, because it's t it totally goes against the grain of what a regular docu-series, how they usually approach it. And a lot of these people are the, in the creative team, they're coming in and they're way undercompensated on the front end and they're waiting to be compensated on the back end because everybody that's involved in this project has that much of a belief in the format that we're going to be filming in that they're like okay let's let's just do it and not only that but Kyle is a personal friend and of course I met you know Connor through Kyle and I told I told Kyle I said listen I want you because you're, you know, going to be the DP on this. I want you to have all of the creative control over who you want to be, who you want to work with, shooters you want to work with, sound guys you want to work with, because too many productions I've seen, you know, and I've heard horror stories where there's a bunch of chiefs and not enough Indians, yeah. and I didn't want that. I wanted to avoid that. So, and the style is entirely different. Everything from the filming of it and the story to the delivery and even the edits are, you know, everything's gonna be cloud-based. So it's, you know, everybody will have access on the creative team to, you know, like for instance, Connor is not, he's, he's not gonna be on set um, until the mid part of November because he's gonna be in Costa Rica. So, you know, he'll be able to view all of this stuff while it's going on uh, in Costa Rica and say, yes, I want this changed or that changed. So it's just different from every single thing that you've seen. Now, there's always, you know, as well as I do, anything in life, when there's differences, um, it, it, it makes it that much harder. Oh, yeah, I can, there can be a clash. But so this big of a project is, are you are you going into Oregon and staying there for a certain amount of time? Are you, you're acting like you're basically, you're taking the role of the director and producer. You're, are you no, business so director? The DP. So the DP, it, that's, it's, it's such a misunderstood term. So when people hear DP, they think director of photography, mm -hmm. right? Or doc director of picture. No, a DP is just the way of saying director. 
So it, he, he is the director. Kyle Grissom is the director of this docuseries. Um, nice. He's young. He's ambitious. He has an amazing work ethic. His his portfolio is retardedly beautiful. I mean, the stuff that he, he captures is just unbelievable. And then you have Connor, on the other hand, who is everything that Kyle is. And they're best friends, by the way. And they look like twins. It's crazy. What? Oh, yeah, dude. They look like twi- twins. It's it's cr- They both have this crazy curly hair. They have the stash. It's and we're we're doing we're all doing the stash, um, because we're gonna create hashtags and I won't give any of it away. But it, it it's it'll it'll all it'll all make sense once the production starts and you see B roll behind the footage. How long is the production? Um, so we have one month to capture three episodes. And you're it's you're doing pilot. three three episodes for the pilot. Hopefully you sell the pilot. Right. And then or option it. yeah, option it. And then, so say you option it to Discovery, how does that type of process work? Um, well, you have a creative team that will either critique what the future episodes will be like. There's also options in the contract, like that I have with uh, Kyle, that says, you know, if he wants to stay on with the new production company that would either buy or option, they have no ability to back out and say, oh, we, we're going to use a different director of photography, right? Mm-hmm. They have to use him. And so, or I said, listen, on the flip side, you can either do that or you get royalties or maybe both. And so um, obviously, because it's a legal document, I can't disclose it, but um, he made he made, a, he made a wise choice for his position. And um, yeah, usually, you know, the director... Um, they either, you know, go on later on on the, you know, production, the real production. This is pilots are experimental and um, they are a way for the network to kind of see how everybody creatively interacts on these teams and what they capture. And then they can say, OK, yeah, we want to keep these key people or, you know, we want to drop these people if there's, you know, if the production company like us has an agreement ahead of time that says you cannot drop them. They can't option it. So, you know, on to the next. I've, I've known writers in other states that have used their material and tried to create their own pilots and sold it to things like Amazon or uh, mm-hmm. Netflix. And then they play their pilot, they get it bought, and it's never picked up. Mm-hmm. Is, is that as devastating as I've been told? Oh, I'm sure it is. I don't know how devastating that is because I'm not even there yet. Mm-hmm. But I, I can only assume... Um, you know, with the amount of work and love that you put into something that and then to have, you know, to, to be crapped on by the networks, the big networks, that would be very difficult. Um, I went into this thing kind of I'm emotionally attached, obviously, because you have to be when it's art. But I also am I also understand that even if the major networks have squabbles, there's other opportunities for this content because if they don't pick it up, we own it. And if we own it, we control distribution. If we control distribution, there's a lot more outlets than just Tubi, Hulu, Netflix, you know, Pluto, all these other companies. There, there are. Um, So yeah, in in getting into that, I I knew that that could happen and I'm okay with that. I'll take that risk. You know, I'm the guy at the, I'm I'm the guy at the craps table, you know, throwing 10,000 a roll. You know, I've always been like that. I'm, I'm going to go all in and, you know, uh, what happens will happen. And 
sometimes I've lost my ass. Uh, sometimes I've been ahead, but I've never had a dull moment. There's never been a dull moment. And uh, obviously it's a little different now that I'm, you know, married and have a kid and, you know, things change. My risk appetite is lowered a lot, you know, and I'll be 40 this year. So um, <gasps> really? Yeah. Yeah, dude. 40. Yep. I'm turning to 33 this year. And I'm just like, dang, the bones are starting to ache. I'm like, now I know what a Motrin it is. It hurts, man. I, I didn't even know. I was like, what's a Motrin? I thought it was uh, ibuprofen and uh, Tylenol or just drugs. And then mm -hmm. what's a Motrin? Oh, okay. Here here we go. There's relief without effect. Yeah, um, you learn. Yeah, the older you get, you learn about suppositories, um, you know, <laughs> medicines. Like, dude, and, and, and look, dude, you know what's funny? Like, you laugh, but... Here's the deal. Like, these are so many things, especially us guys. We usually don't talk about that kind of Nobody stuff. Nobody talks about hemorrhoids, not on yeah, YouTube. I, I mean, like, seriously. Um, but they happen. Yeah. And, you know, when you age, it, 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 it's just part of the process. I, I think it's a big thing about what Americans eat versus what a lot of people, like I know a lot of people from Mexico down here, they never heard of those problems. Because they right. don't they don't they, eat the processed foods we do, right? And so I'm about to start a, a meat only diet. Uh, I'm gonna try uh, the carnivore, uh, yeah, and see exactly how that works. The uh, the idea it, it was a shift in how I ate and what I do, and I'm like now I'm making my own coffee. I'm trying to get off the energy drinks because they're just so convenient for caffeine. But right. it's just like ah, uh, that's my big thing. It'll, it, it, man, it, it, it becomes easier. The routine becomes easier the older you get. And, you know, you're, you're like me, man. I, I can tell you're an old soul and you have, you have respect for your elders. And, um, and I think a lot of that probably came from the military. But, you know, uh, those are things that a, a lot of people, you're ahead, you're ahead. Uh, you know, for your age. I, I try. I try. I a lot yeah, of it came from my dad, for sure, and then the Army. But yeah. so do you are you the type of 40 year old that has a five year, a 10 year plan or are you balls to the wall 24 seven? A little bit of both. I'm yeah. a hybrid. Yeah, I have a plan, but I'm also I'm I also understand that, you know, things can change at a moment's notice. And there's a lot of things in this world that we do not have control over. I'm a big believer in fate. I believe that things fall into place uh, for reasons and reasons that oftentimes we, we spend too much time trying to figure out. And we give a little too much emphasis on that. So I just go with it, man. You know, if it feels right and you know, you're not, you're not fucking anyone over, you're not hurting people, you know, um, go for it, you know, uh, whatever it takes. But again, yeah. be mindful of the, the toes you step on and the people that, you know, cause you know, as well as I do, we have these nowadays. We have yeah. keyboards, and keyboards are way more destructive than words. I, I believe it 100%. I'm more of <laughs> now, nowadays, my plan is to build as many skills that I can hone because I'll never be in a negative position when I can offer something to the world. Right. You know, exactly. So, Self-reliance yeah. for your family. Exactly. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm hoping to transfer that to my kids, but I know my son's going to be a bit of a hard ass. He's only three right now, but he's going on 60. He, he yep. knows everything and it's just, no, 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 daddy. Nope. It's, <laughs> it's so defiant. My yeah. daughter is a princess. She does everything we ask. Oh, man. But he just had to be the devil to a degree. 
they, yeah, man, they're, they're, they, they will, they will test your patience, man. I never wanted kids. I never wanted to be married. I'm so happy that I have, you know, Jack now. He's an awesome kid. He has his, you know, thing. He likes to play video games and sometimes he gets, you know, a little mouthy, but. Where would you than, be without him, right? That's, exactly. I, I wouldn't be the person I am without mine. And I still uh, say I never wanted yet. kids. On the other yeah. I never For wanted sure. to be this yeah. guy. And I was like, oh, you know what? I wouldn't be without him. So. Yep. Dude, it's been great catching up with you, man. Yeah, Listen. man. All right, I'll All talk right, to you hey, soon. Thanks for having me on the podcast, man. Thanks for coming, man. Sorry it's been hectic trying to get you here. <laughs> no, it's okay. Things happen, man. No, yeah, we'll talk soon. I appreciate it, brother.